Good evening, Patriots. And it is Sunday, April 9th, at the end of April 9th. And I hope everyone had a blessed Resurrection Day. It's uh, really a deep day to reflect on truly what was given in a what was ultimately one of the most terrific moments probably in our history to watch the torture and the number of people that turned on our Savior and then the gift that was given, which was life. One thing before we begin tonight, make sure you're getting a good night's sleep. It's a lot of pressure on us all, tiring to fatigue us, to wear us down. Sleep is one of those critical issues. And to do that, you're going to want to head over to MyPillow.com and check out some of their new products, in particular, the new MyPillow 2.0. Looks like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back, the MyPillow guy. And you're looking good. Still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever, MyPillow 2.0. When I invented my pillow, it had everything you'd ever want in a pillow. Well, now there's new technology that makes it even better. My Pillow 2.0 has my patented fill combined with a cooling fabric with temperature regulating thread. My Pillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of my pillow. The best sleep just got even better. Whether you have a MyPillow or not, you need to get the brand new MyPillow 2.0. Call or go to MyPillow.com now. Use your promo code, and for a limited time when you buy one, you'll get a second one absolutely free. You're sleeping even better. And cooler, too. And you're looking good. Feeling good. I knew you would. Visit MyPillow.com. So, Patriots, we've been praying for Shelly. And we've been getting updates from her husband, Tim. I want to put in context who Shelley is. If you remember back in the early days of the COVID con, there was a woman who held her salon open outside Dallas and even had the militia come and protect her to keep her salon open. She later was brought into court, tried to charge her, the whole case getting dismissed. That's the Shelly we've been praying for. And she had a brain aneurysm some time back. She's still in the hospital. She's had some good and bad days. They had a surgery for her on Friday. And I have a new update, which I'm going to ask that we begin tonight with a prayer for her again. This is an update as of 7.45 tonight, Central Time, which was day five. This comes from her husband. Day five, another day of ups and downs. The doctor finally decided to do a procedure late this afternoon to address some spasms the blood vessels in her brain were having. Overall, the surgery went well, and they felt like they were able to help prevent against the possibility of a stroke. The numbers continue to look pretty good as long as she stays sedated and medicated, but she hasn't been awake since Wednesday, and we can't keep that away that can't keep her that way forever. So we start the process over again of trying to reduce sedation, pain medication and trying to stimulate her neurologically. I'm hopeful tomorrow to be a better, it will be a better day. I'm thankful for where we are now 
but all of us are ready for some good news without more challenges and hurdles. I spend my time talking to her, reassuring her, and I just can't imagine what it must be like to be locked in there and unable to come out. A good friend of ours stopped by today and prayed with us and asked specifically to her, for her to wake up and open her eyes. I think that's a good prayer. I'll take that. I can deal with the rest. I just want her to wake up and see the, the love and support ready to carry her back to health. So please join me in prayer for Shelley. Father, we just come to you this evening on this Resurrection Day. And Jesus, please hear our prayers as we ask that there is a moment now of healing that can settle in on Shelley, a miraculous moment to allow her to open her eyes and to wake up from this induced coma that she's in, to see her husband and to begin a rapid and miraculous process of healing. Whatever is going on with the blood vessels in her brain and the aneurysm, we just pray that all of this can be miraculously healed and restore her to the great health that she once had and as you were, as she was so designed. We ask for the blessings of her and blessings over her family, continued blessings for all those that continue to pray for her, and we just ask that these prayers be bound in such a way that they be focused on this amazing and powerful healing for Shelley. And to do so, Father, on just this amazing day as itself, a celebration of Christ's resurrection. As we pray as well for the transformation of Shelley from someone who is in care to someone who is healthy and able to leave the confines of the hospital. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. An interesting weekend. I don't know when I don't have an interesting weekend leading up to Sunday night show. To start with, because people were asking, like, what did you, what did, did you eat something? Yes, I did. I broke fast 47 days. I broke fast Saturday morning. And I broke fast with a bowl of brown rice and some scrambled eggs. And that's, that was a great way of breaking fast. Um, same thing I ate last night and then this morning, pretty much the same thing tonight for, not that you need to know on my diet, but I'm just giving it to you now. So this is a freebie. Um, tonight I did a, for Easter or for Resurrection Sunday dinner, I did a, a smoked uh, prime rib, which turned out fantastic. I started I did a dry rub on it yesterday, and which, by the way, for doing prime rib, there's a great little trick I learned. You can take and you can cut holes in your prime rib. You can use a knife or you can use a chopstick, something like that, and infuse it on one side with crushed garlic, and on the other side, take s small pieces of frozen butter and stick it in that prime rib and let it cure for at least 24 hours. And then I did a slow cook slow smoke cook on that for about three hours. And then I did a, a at the very end, it's called, it's called a, um, a inverted sear or it's called an inverted sear because you, instead of searing your meat on the front, you sear your meat at the end just before you serve it. 
And before you sear it, you glaze it with clarified butter. And I used some thyme, fresh thyme with it as well. And then I seared it and then we served it and it was fantastic. So there you go. There's a great recipe for you. Since we always seem to end up doing recipes <laughs> at the end of the show, late night, for those of you who don't stick around, we end up having like recipes every night after the music, which is always pretty cool. But that's one that you can take to the bank. And it was fantastic. And uh, you don't, it just depends. You just want to check your temperature so you don't get up too high. I made this prime rib less rare, so I, I brought it up to about 130 internal, so we were a medium rare, and uh, turned out really good. I mean, like, really good. And I eat too much. I'll just tell you that right now, which means that I won't eat. I'm not even going to bother thinking about food until tomorrow night sometime. Man, it was good, though. Worth every bit of it, I'll tell you right now. So I, you know, I, like I tell you, every it just seems like every weekend I get God throws me something to to work on. Um. And and this was no exception of a weekend, and I don't really know where this story is going to go, but I'm kind of compelled to share it. So we're gonna we're gonna share it. Yesterday I was going to make a quick trip up to the property to feed the cattle. And to get them some protein blocks, which they're in real need of. They're, the winter has been, they're healthy, but they're looking a little thin. They've been feeding on the grass that we've had up there. We haven't had to supplement their feeding that much, but it's time now to get them start fattening up. So I swung by, I ran up to the property and grabbed my trailer, went on down to the uh, central feed and seed, and um, picked up two protein blocks and 16 bales of hay. We've got hay at the property, but they're round bales and the tractor is not there right now. So I just threw some square bales on the back of the trailer, which is pretty good for a Jeep trailer, by the way. We had 16 bales, which we could have stacked higher, but that was enough. That's all I needed for yesterday. Now, this is one of these cases where I have to acknowledge that at 58 years old, I still tend not to listen to people well. I I get stubborn and doing things my own way. And I'm there's a price to pay for that, as you will soon learn. So the guy that runs cattle with me suggested we have a long back road. And he suggested that I back the trailer down the back road because it was easier and prevented from having to do a turnaround and what's pretty muddy down below. And to just back the trailer into this lower area on the back 40 where we've been feeding the cattle. And he made the comment, he goes, I'm just real careful because it's easy to get stuck back there. But he says, your Jeep will probably get through it. Well, I should have ignored the but and listened to just the first part of that. Let's say that. So I drove straight. I, and I also had this other idea that let's maybe I should run down there with the ATV first and check to see how soft the earth is. So both of those I didn't listen to. Now, the way I always see this is when you were not listening to our first notions, we're probably missing a greater wisdom that's not just us, but it's probably a nudge from the Holy Spirit going, dude, you may want to pay attention. And I was thinking, no, let's be quick about this. I don't want to have to back down and deal with it. I'll just drive the Jeep down. I opened up the gate. It was a pretty easy turnaround. I could have done the same thing 
pull the Jeep in, back the trailer in. Nope, didn't want to do that. Decided to just pull the Jeep in, and I would just drive through the field and do a quick turnaround and drop off the hay. Well, let's just say that by the time I got about a Jeep length into the pasture, I realized I was in trouble. And I got the Jeep in, and it started to spin, and I was like, oh, this is going to be horrible. And so I, I thought, well, maybe it's the weight on the trailer. So I unloaded everything, got up to 16 bales, dropped off the the two um, protein tubs, which are not small, by the way. They're about 200 pounds apiece. So I slid them out the back of the trailer and proceeded to try to do my loop around with the trailer. Now, <clears throat> I think this would be best described as something close to a bog. The cattle have been on this. It's at the bottom of the hill, so you know all the water is running down there. Um, all of this stuff should be native to me as an Oregonian. But yesterday, when I started this little venture, I had my head somewhere else. And it wasn't in the clear thought place. And so as I pulled away... My, I tried to do the spin, and of course, it didn't work. The mud is like, it's not quite a gumbo, if you've ever had that, but it is a sticky, clay-heavy, wet mud that clogged the knobs on my, on my mud tires so severely that they just became smooth and slick. And here I was, I, sitting about 150 feet, from the entrance and it's in an open field and there's no way, and there's a nice little ditch that goes down into a pretty good gully that my Jeep wanted to, seemed to be very inclined to want to drift towards, which I wasn't too happy about. And this is a really an interesting moment because typically this is time we can get frustrated and and I, and I really didn't. I mean, I, I've, I sat there and kind of snickered, and I, I realized that since I'd made a bad choice, I was now in a point where I was going to have to really rely on some greater wisdom from Father to get out of this one. And, um, of course, I start reflecting. I'm, I'm fortunate because I carry a very good recovery kit in the Jeep, except one item that I've been delaying buying for no reason other than I just was like, I won't need it, which proved to be the exact item I needed naturally. And these are some traction plates that they're made of high-grade plastic and they're pretty light, but you can pack them on the back of your Jeep easily or on the back of your spare tire. And of course, I didn't have those. So all I had were the metal ramps from my trailer, which were not light and in soft mud walking around there. By the way, I had some brand new muck boots on, which got broken in really well yesterday. I'll just tell you that right now. And this is the sort of mud that when you step on it, it's got hay and it's got dry grass in it. And you hear this sound. Yeah, that sort of thing. So every step you're making is literally this sucking action of trying to pull you into the vortex of the earth below you. And the Jeep uh, wasn't too happy. So I was able to move the Jeep incrementally with these 
big, heavy metal ramp plates. And I moved it. It doesn't sound like much, but it was a lot. I moved it about, I guess, about 24 feet. <laughs> that's, that's, and that took me an hour and a half to get to 24 feet. And I'd already pulled the winch out to its full length, and I was short distance. And at this point, I've got my phone ringing because my dad's, I texted him and said I was going to be late. And um, so he's coming out, which, of course, my pride is like, I don't need that. That's fine. And then another person called, which I mistook for a friend in Portland, which wasn't. It was my neighbor was calling. And this is when everything transformed. And it's really a pretty interesting experience all the way around. And I was really reminded so much of what we talk about here every single day. And it's about good neighbors. You know, we talk about building, loving thy neighbor and building that relationship. And we've been talking a lot about it through the principle of the sourdough revolution. And we talk about how we're not going to get through times without good neighbors. It doesn't mean a lot when we live in urban areas, but it means everything out in a rural area. Pretty soon I see an ATV coming down the road, and I figured I knew who it was. But I'm still working. I'm trying to get the... I've now gotten close enough to the this one big fence post. It's about the size of a telephone pole that I'm able to get the toe strap around it and then an extension strap and tie that into my winch. And as I'm starting to hook that up, down the back road comes my neighbor, Paul. And he he's a special forces guy, retired. We get along great. And there's just a certain humor that goes around with... It, it, <laughs> When he sees me full covered in mud and he's sitting on his ATV. Um, and, and one of those is he, he said, I forgot my camera. He said, I should have taken a video of you. I said, I wish you would have. I said, the whole following I had would, for Bart's FM, would love to see me covered in mud with my Jeep buried. The Jeep wasn't actually buried. It was just a lot of slick mud. But the point is, this was part of, there was a lot of lessons that went in here for the weekend for me. One, obviously, that I've already stated is listening to those nudges. And in my haste, I didn't listen to the nudges. I didn't listen to the words of, you know, of caution. And we can pass that off as just like being stubborn, which it was, but it's more than that because there's a consequence to pay when we don't. And what could have easily been quite literally a 20-minute project down, backing the trailer down the hill, pulling it into the into the field, keeping the Jeep on solid ground, unloading the hay, unloading the protein blocks, closing the gate, and heading out. That 20-minute project ended up lasting for about four and a half hours of some pretty hard work of trying to get that Jeep out. 
and you have your normal moments through the whole piece of wanting to quit. By the way, the trailer is still in the field. It's safe. It's just like, I'll get it later. When it's, we're supposed to dry up this week, so somewhere near the end of the week, I'll take the ATV down there and I'll hoist up, hoist it out with my ATV winch. It's not stuck, but it's just it wasn't it wasn't going. I will say this: when we finally got the jeep past the trailer, the cows were not happy. By the way, because I'd fed them and they were hungry, and they didn't like being interrupted, and they let me know that as well. They were pretty vocal. I still haven't figured out why they took so much interest in my shovel and my ramps that were in the mud, but they had a whole gathering over there of sniffing that out. So it may be just to rub it in my nose that as they seemed to, because they were walking fine in the mud. And this is one of these things that you really get a perspective on nature versus man. So this is another little process. We talk a lot about the technologies and how dependent we are. As I literally watch cows slowly walking past me, looking at me as they go, as they have no problem walking through the mud and the Jeep is sitting there and they even to the point where they're eating and they'll just all stand and they'll just lift up their head and watch your tires spin and just like stupid humans. And I'm like, yeah, I felt like one yesterday. Stupid human face dependent on on the whole Jeep that is should be able to cut right through this. And it really wouldn't have mattered what vehicle you had other than an ATV. You weren't getting through this mud. But as I as Paul is there, Paul then looks at the scene over. He gives me a hand. We 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 hook up the um, we hook up the winch to the post, and it's a big post, and it's a heavy jeep. And we pulled that out about as far as we could get, and the post started to be pulled out of the ground. So I'm gonna I had to re rig the the winch to the the uh, winch line to another post. So Paul says, I've got an idea. So he goes back over and he gets his truck and he brings it down and does the right thing, by the way, backs it down the hill. But this is when I'm told the story because his sister is with him. And she says, you know, he said one of their ranch hands had looked across the way and saw that I was in the field. And that's when he went down and got Paul. And he said, I think Scott's stuck in the field. And that's when he came over. It's a, it's a throwback to a reminder of when I used to live in Minnesota, in northern Minnesota, where neighbors are everything. That's a part of the world that gets super cold in, in the winter. The last winter I was up there was minus 40 for a week, down near Devil's Lake, I think it is, south of Thief River Falls. That year it was 100, minus 100 below for a week. The point of all that is you're you're not going to survive these environments up there if you don't have relationships with neighbors. We tend to take our neighbors for granted in most of the continental United States. We take them for granted, especially in urban areas, because we can be different by politics and we can be different by a lot of things. But when you get into rural areas where people have to rely on one another. While there are different levels of faith, faith is pretty much consistent with everybody. And the other thing that is very consistent regardless is that people look out for one another. 
And in this time of division and hatred, on so many stupid levels, we forget how precious that is. And this was one of God's great gifts for me yesterday, which was truly a great gift, which was the reminder of just how precious relationships with your neighbor are. I was I haven't talked to Paul for a couple months. We've just been busy. But the thing is that everyone is constantly looking out for one another. And and they can't really emphasize that statement enough as one of the was really the gift for the weekend. And I think on this weekend it's it's very apropos because of what happens to Christ. And what ends up happening is the man who flips tables to break, to disrupt the idea that you had to pay a fee basically to go pray, ends up having everybody turn on him and and denounce him, deny him, betray him. And he's left alone in the world, which is an unconscionable thought. But in that moment of time that I was in the field, there was the thought of me having to solve all of this by myself. And there's only one way that's going to happen, and that was to trust in Father. All of that situation there evolved, in my opinion. One, I got there because I didn't listen. I got there because I didn't take the nudge the second time, which was get on the ATV and check out the field before you go racing your Jeep down there. I got into the problem out of my own stubbornness and just me wanting to do it my way. But the most amazing thing is I was never alone. Never. And I knew that early on, even when I was sitting there tired from trying to get the Jeep out of this, not really having a solution. And there's a juncture that we can all be at right there. We can get mad pissed off. We can quit, walk away, call for a ride and leave your Jeep in the field. But that doesn't solve anything. And what I did choose to do, which I think at this point in my life I'm wise enough to know, is I just kind of smiled and I said, all right, Father, I got myself here. Now I'm going to need your help to get me out. And it's the acknowledgement of the situation, I think, that transforms things. Because it was shortly after that that Paul came over. I mean, he called first. That was the call. And I was I was literally knee-deep in mud. And I just was like, I'm not answering this. Because I thought it was a call from my friend in Portland. And it wasn't. It was Paul, my neighbor. Which I've got to change the name so I know. I don't want to get that confused again. And then it wasn't enough because I didn't answer. Because he his ranch hand had seen me stuck, he got on his ATV and drove over. That's a good person. That's a good neighbor. And that's also Father's hand bringing things together to remind us all that we can't walk alone. So we continued. I got the Jeep as close as we could. Paul got back down there. By this time, my dad's there. And he's. we've got more hands than we need, but we're able to hook the Jeep up 
basically to the back of Paul's truck or the winch up, pull out, and then we got to a certain point he was able to, as I'm not so much doing the winch anymore, but able to pull me out with as I'm driving so we could we got close enough to the gate and then get up on the hard pack. And get then get things all put together. The Jeep was muddy, like it hasn't been muddy. Jeeps should be muddy, but this was a good one, trust me. Um, the inside of the Jeep was muddy. That still has to be cleaned. And it was a pretty tiring experience. A four and a half or five hour period that I ended up spending again because I didn't listen but a great experience and reminder and a good lesson to what we were what we're really about it's it's still sticking in my head and I don't really know what to make of this but as I closed the gate and got it all locked up <laughs> we have one red angus that came up to the gate and literally she just stood there and she just looked at me and I started talking to her and you just get these eyes from the cow like and this is my impression, but it's just like, are you done being stupid and interrupting our field? And I'm like, yes. And then she goes on her way and goes and eats again. Cows are pretty perceptive. And they were grateful I was out of the field because that's their territory, not mine. On this particular weekend, I think this is, um, as things tend to happen appropriately by God's hand, as perhaps an, a story that may seem inconsequential to you, it was very deeply moving to me to be reminded not only of the importance of the fellowship that we have to build with one another to get through this next phase. And that was really the greater message to me in all of this, is that God was reminding me that we are not going to make it through this next step if we don't rely on one another. There are going to be challenges, big and small, that you must bear together, that if you do not bear them together, you're not going to be able to bear them. Christ, as God's Son, bared an unbearable challenge and pain and suffering for all of us. And in the looking at over this world, we have had I would say we've screwed things up pretty badly. We have separated ourselves from our neighbors. We use politics as probably one of the most defining issues. We're divided now because of this vax. We're divided because of fake hatred of race and inclusion and all this other garbage. And we've had yet another attack, which is this transgender religion put upon us which too many people are falling victim to. And it's a constant war to keep us divided. In a small moment in time, I'm reminded of the power that we are in coming together and working together to solve a problem. I would have probably got the Jeep out, probably. 
it wouldn't have happened as quickly. And it wouldn't have happened as cleanly as it ended up happening at the end because there's a pretty hard left turn coming out of the field on a fairly narrow road that was perplexing of how I was going to get the Jeep navigated through some pretty slick area right there. But, you know, it would have overcome in some way. But it didn't have to get to that because of somebody who is just a great neighbor. We have to spend time working on our communities. We have to spend time making sure we're building these bridges. I don't know how this change in the world is going to happen. I don't know if the majority of the world is going to follow this new economic system, do it seemingly painlessly, and ended up giving up all their freedoms, but likely is that they won't, be, they won't even know they've given them up until it's too late. Like your user agreements on when you sign up for digital stuff, who reads those? And what do we what do we give up? Well, we know now we give up everything. When you're there, you give up your free speech, you give up your your data, you give up if you use it, you give up your facial biometrics, you give up your your fingerprint biometrics. Everything becomes property of them, and it's all in that user agreement. So you can expect that whatever comes will be something like that. In so doing, people will give up every right. But just like they did with technology, they won't take it all away up front. They'll get people used to it, and then they'll slowly whittle it away, and people will have no choice, and they'll complain, and there'll be little patches of complaining, and they'll see, well, this is unfair, and basically they're going to be able to go back and say, it's not unfair, you signed it away. Because in the most part, we aren't talking enough to each other, we're not listening enough to each other, and we end up being very self-driven and self-focused for our own needs. Well, I need the money, or I'm going to get a good deal on my mortgage, or I'm going to make a bunch of money. That's how we work. Our whole investment side is our, our own. Money is becomes the thing that we possess and we all worship I mean, I say we as a culture, we worship. But it's not, it's like they say, you know, don't talk politics and, and God and, and a, on your first date. Well, it's like, don't ever talk about my finances unless I'm going to brag to you about how much I made because those are things we don't discuss. Well, unfortunately, we better be discussing them. And because what's coming is significant, it's going to change everything. And so there's those that won't, and they will follow the path. And then there are those that are going to break out. Choose not to participate. Choose to build a, a, an alternate economy. Some will call it a black market economy. We're going to have different values on things than the other side. We will see value in terms of eggs and beef and milk and clean living and, and work we do by hand and trade trades in general. But we're not going to accomplish success if we try to do it alone. And that small little moment yesterday was in my in-the-face reminder of just how important it is. Paul's done a number of things for me up there just out of the goodness of his heart. And, you know, as I told him yesterday, 
I said, hey, I've got 10 steers coming up to harvest this year. One of them's yours if you want it. And I don't know if he's going to need it, but his sister may need it, and it's theirs. There's, when you say that, a lot of, I've already, I've said this to some people, not about Paul, but others are like, well, how much are you going to charge for the steers? And I'm like, it's not about the money. It's never been about the money. That's not why I raise cattle. What it's about is making sure that the tribe and the community has the resources it needs. We have to get to a position like that. I could have called a recovery group. They'd be happy to come out and charge me a thousand or more for a weekend to come pull my rig out. But none of that had to happen, and none of it did happen because of a good neighbor. So on this weekend, when I think back to the walk that Jesus made, and we get a glimpse when we lens this a different way, we get a glimpse of walking alone in the, monk, in the midst of people. And worse, we get a glimpse of what it is to walk alone in people that betrayed him. Not just a few, but everybody. Good friends, good neighbors don't betray each other. And sadly, Jesus, in the end, really didn't have had neither. And that's kind of hard to digest. When we think of the miracles he performed and the words he was given to people, but it also shows you that true loyalty is hard to find. I find that some of my most loyal friends are prior service, typically special operations. Not all, but a number of them. And there's a reason that that happens. It's because we've gone through the process, most everybody in that category has gone through the process of war and conflict. And you understand that in trial times, in trying times, you are never going to survive on your own. I had a very unique position when I was working in special operations in Afghanistan. I did not have any requirements to file any travel documents anywhere I went. They call it a CONOP, which has to do with filing out your entire mission, detailing it out, where you're going to go. It's, it's lengthy. And I never had any of those requirements. I could just get in the vehicle and go where I wanted to. I was stopped one day in the hall by a, the Special Forces First Sergeant, and that's a whole crazy story. This is a guy that I didn't know from Adam. Talk about how God puts us together. I didn't know him. I didn't know him from anybody. And as we started to talk, you talk about it. Here I am in Afghanistan. I mean, stress this: we've never met before. As I and he was a hard man to get to know. As I finally got to know him one day, he mentioned to me one day he grew up in Montana. And I said, "Whereabouts did you grow up in Montana?" And he told me over near Livingston. I said, well, "That's interesting." I said, my dad grew up in, in Custer. Okay, so back and forth, back and forth. Here's how crazy this gets. My uncle Lloyd, which was my grandmother's brother, had a ranch out near Muscle Shell. 
As he got older, he had to turn it over to somebody to help manage his cattle. The guy that ended up managing his cattle for a good period of time was that Special Forces First Sergeant. That's how life works when God puts us together. Paul, my neighbor, is a Special Forces veteran. He and I hit it off well. And what we have in common really is just that root of having been in conflict and working with special teams. Now, why do I share all this? Because when we're talking about the differences that we have, the one thing that doesn't happen on teams and small groups is there's no room to find petty differences that keep you apart. You have to quite literally learn to overcome because when the chips are down, the only people you're going to have is a 12-man team or whoever's on your team. I've always said I haven't been – I'm not Special Forces. I worked with Special Forces teams and was well integrated into them when I did. But you learn to rely on your team. So back to that first sergeant. He came to me one day and he says, I know you don't have to file any paperwork. He says, but you're part of my team. I need you to at least call me to keep telling me you're alive at these certain points, which I did. We have a lot of work to do. And it really settled heavily on me of how much work we have to do to build that sort of trust and loyalty in our neighborhoods. We aren't out of time, but the clock is ticking. And we need to put the priority to realize that it's the small things that will make the difference. Right now, we can still run to the grocery store and get something. We can still run over to the gas station and get gas. Right now, we can still live our little lives that are boxed in by fences and whatever size lot somebody has on their home. But we have to be able to start showing that we will bridge past that and be there for people. And it's not going to happen for them coming to us. We have to go to them. Again, a reminder for me this weekend is I had my bold arrogance running, my pride. It was my neighbor that reached out to me to remind me that he was there. I could have called Paul, but I didn't want to because of my pride. Pride is going to get us into most trouble. Whatever reason the disciples made to denounce Jesus, and I think they each have different reasons, it nonetheless left a man alone to walk with a back that had been turned to flesh, raw, cut-up flesh, wearing a, th- a, a crown of thorns and carrying his cross as people jeered him and spit at him and threw things at him. Those were people that would have every one of them asked of him to do a miracle for them had it been a week earlier. Every one of them wanted, would have wanted something for themselves. But in the time of need, and I would say every one of them knew what he, was, what he did, what he, was, what he was able to do. But in the time of need, no one had the heart to be his friend and his neighbor. 
my little run through the weekend reminded me of somebody that had the heart to be a neighbor at a critical time. And I know it's somebody I can count on when the chips are down. We have to find those people and keep them close. We have to cherish them and understand that they're not everywhere. Not everybody has that heart. But we also have to build the foundations to open the door to try to make sure that we can have as many of those with us when we need. We will get through this together, not individually. And sadly, those that want to walk a place of pride and arrogance, they will suffer the consequences that that leads to. And I don't wish that upon them. So it's kind of a dual-headed or a multifaceted lesson all weekend. Put your pride down and listen to what God says. Respond to the nudges and don't deny them. They're usually right. When you face the consequence of your pride, be humble enough to turn to Father and acknowledge it and ask for his help. Be ready because help comes in different forms. And when it comes to our neighbors, accept what they offer. Learn to build the bridge with your neighbors and find the ones that you know that you can build great relationships on so that we, you can trust them and remember that we are not going to get through this individually. We are only going to get through this together. Let's pray. Father, this is a very humbling weekend of what we celebrate. A reminder of a system that betrayed your son. A reminder of the people that betrayed your son. A reminder of a warrior's heart that never gave in to any of it. That overcame what was literally impossible odds. And through to the very last had the heart to save yet another that was on the cross. Today we celebrate the resurrection, the place where we're reminded of the true sense of the Holy Spirit and the gift that was given to all of us. For the blood covenant was broken and we were freed to be given everlasting life. So let us take these lessons, Father, and the wisdom there and be reminded ourselves of our own walk. There's no place for pride and arrogance. When we do stumble, have the humility to come before you and acknowledge it. Seek forgiveness and then seek your wisdom. Trust in you in all things that the solution that we need will come. And get to know our neighbors so that we build the relationships that we can expand the kingdom based on trust and love for one another where arrogance and pride have no space. These are important times. Father, you've blessed me again with a weekend of, of insight. It's allowed me to share something that hopefully settles in on some people's hearts. And I'm humbled and I thank you. And we're all deeply humbled on this day for what this day represents. So for those moments where we have 
tripped and fallen, forgive us. And for the efforts going forward, we just pray for your encouragement and your wisdom to find the ways to reach our neighbors, to express the love, and to continue forward to building that community that will stand with each other, not betray each other. And we know in our heart of hearts that that's only going to happen with efforts that we make and that we may not always succeed. But the times ahead are going to try us. And this is a time to reflect on just what it took for Jesus to overcome because we are the overcomers. Guide us, Father, and and thank you for all that's been given for our time here and what we have now. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. It is um, one thing to, I guess it's one of these things that we tend to talk a lot about these things. But relationships are built with boots on the ground. They're built with the efforts that we put forward. I've talked a great deal about the sourdough revolution. And it is really principally based on love thy neighbor. And it takes a dedication. And there's a lot of you that are doing it, and I commend you for it. Don't quit. This is one of these things that's very important. that We continue to, and whether you do it once every week or once every couple weeks, but the point is that you're baking the couple of loaves of bread, sourdough bread, and you're sharing it with your neighbor or neighbors. We have got to remake this paradigm. I sat today, as I was working, uh, and I was working, I was barbecuing the dinner, and I listened to the son-in-law of our neighbor today in the backyard. And unfortunately, he's a very typical progressive liberal. And what was so sad to listen to was the absolute constant anger in his heart of everything. Just a sour individual. He has no joy in his heart. I'm talking to somebody that in the backyard I couldn't see. It doesn't matter berating them for things like your, her, their belief in freedom or their belief in constitutionality, all because in his idea there's so much hatred and repara- reparations that must be given to those that have suffered under the hand of the white man and all this garbage. It's a sad statement to where they are because they have hearts that are deeply hardened and clouded by the father of lies. And the only way we're going to get through that, well, I I would have a couple of comments that probably would be not so kingdom. Probably something like, hey, did you take the vax? Oh, okay, good, because that means you cut 25 years off your life, and that's 25 years of you I don't have to deal with. That probably won't win, friends and family, even though I'd love to say it. But getting through to somebody with a gift of bread or whatever they they are because then you're dealing with other things. That's the way we, we crack through this and start to get past their hardened heart and start to show them an example of what love thy neighbor is. We're not trying to change them. Christ will do that. 
Holy Spirit will do that. But our actions will speak to them and in so doing, get through to them ultimately. And even if you're rebuked in the beginning, there's only so long kindness can be rebuked before it finally cracks open a hardened heart. So just keep that in mind as we go forward. It's going to be one of the critical actions I think that we have to do and have to maintain. And then, of course, don't forget prayer because prayer has an amazing way to get through to people, even if we're not standing next to them when we pray. Patriots, I hope you had a blessed weekend. I hope you had a good time with family and, and however, wherever you are, whatever your station is. I hope you've had time to commune with Father in a wonderful way and just reflect deeply on what this weekend is. For each of us, it means different things, but ultimately it's a reminder of all that we were given, and that's life through the unprecedented and most difficult sacrifice of an individual that we could ever imagine. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now.
chasing mountains I can't climb. Holding out for heroes in the night. I find myself here in the dark. We learn to fight and learn who we are. But I am raised up to face the stars full of light. And we are one. Makes you shiver, and I chase the winter out of my mind like the dark in the distance. Wild. We are wild. Standing at the edge of a great sea. Sometimes it takes all you got to believe. 